Welcome to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. Jackie Ressler, a divorce financial planner with almost 25 years experience, and myself, Melissa Fradenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. We are both certified divorce financial analysts and your co-hosts. If you're thinking about divorce or in the process of divorce, this is a time for you to take a deep breath and give yourself permission to gain clarity on the financial decisions you're facing. While the term wealth typically refers to money and possessions, we know that truly being wealthy means a whole lot more. Together with our guests on this podcast, we will help you live wealthy after divorce. And welcome back to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. Today, this is Jackie Ressler, and I am very excited to have as my guest, Ben Burshad, who is a business valuation and financial expert and the managing director and founder of Burshad Valuation Consulting. And most importantly, he has two decades of experience working with divorcing parties. Um, he is highly respected in Michigan as a business evaluator. And again, we are really lucky to have you here today. So welcome, Ben. Thank you very much, Jackie. Um, if you would like, you could follow me around and introduce me to people all the time. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have time for that. <laughs> so I'll put that on my list. <laughs> Um, so Ben, we are, again, I'm so lucky to have you because many, most of the, um, anytime there's a business involved in one of my divorce cases, there are so many questions that clients ask me, and I don't think it's always explained to them, or maybe, you know, when people are going through divorce, they're stressed out and they don't hear everything that's said. So, um, this would be a really good resource for clients to look back on this episode so that they can understand what is the, what is the reason to have a business valuation expert in the case and not just use the company's accountant. Sure. So I, I, the the silly answer is, well, if there's a business involved, you need a business valuation expert. Um, but w- the second part of your question is why not just use the CPA? And And for the same reason that you don't hire me to do your taxes, you don't hire the CPA to, to value business you don't you don't go to your internist and ask them to you know give you a nose job you don't go to a brain surgeon and ask for an appendectomy um the financial world is very large and there are lots of different types of specialties within it um your specialty is it's related to mine but it's different right the cpa um you know the that works for the business it's related to mine but it's different and um, unless they are the very, very rare CPA who has gone through extensive training to not just get credentialed, because it's kind of easy to get credentialed in, in certain business valuation. Yeah, from from some of the organizations, you know, you go to a, a week long seminar and then you take a test. Um, wow, I didn't it's know not that. so. It's yeah, it, it's a little bit disconcerting. Um, but you know, not only do you have to have the credential, but you also have to have the experience. The experience is just as important, if not more important. Um, and the vast majority, there are you know thousands and thousands of, of CPAs out there, and there are very few people who do what I do. Right. And I think often though, the CPA will say, I can do that. And so that's where it's confusing to clients. Um, I've, I've run into cases before where we've, um, we've had a CPA involved that says, 
well, I'm going to, I'm going to put the value on the business. I can tell you what the income is for the business owner. Um, we've even had cases where someone will go and find an appraiser online. <laughs> and that is always surprising to me that when people do that. So maybe a dental practice, the dentist, uh, National Dental Association recommends this appraiser, but not for the purpose of divorce, for another purpose. So can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So like I said a second ago, there there are very few people that do what I do. There's a there's a universe of of appraisers, right? And and there might be hundreds of appraisers around the country that uh, business appraisers, valuation experts that value businesses for various purposes. Um but my little niche is so small. It, I do it for litigation purposes and a lot of the the cases that I'm involved with are not just broad litigation purposes, but very specifically divorce. And you wouldn't necessarily hire me if you're in Chicago and you're getting getting divorced and you need right. somebody to help you with that. Or if you're in Florida or if you're in Windsor, um, because the, the case law is different. The purpose that you're doing it for might be the same in terms of divorce, but there's a lot of jurisdiction you know, to jurisdiction changes. And, and even there are things, I mean, those are, are documented, but there are things that are like culture of where you're doing it. Are you in Oakland County? Are you in Macomb County? Are you in Livingston County? And even from County to County, there can be differences in how things are looked at. Um, there maybe shouldn't be, but there are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good point. And so, you know, I focus my my practice in in Oakland, Macomb, Wayne, Washtenaw. That's that's the vast majority of the cases that I'm involved with, um, and you know, income the way that that income is looked at, and and as you know, but probably the listeners don't is for spousal support purposes. I will come up with here is what the income is for spousal support purposes. Then what you do with that after afterward, there, it's not as simple as, oh, I'm just going to drop it in a calculator and it's going to tell me what spousal support should be. Because spousal support, there are 14 factors. And a lot of those are qualitative. And I have nothing to do with you right. know, 13 out of 14 of them. Um, and But the most important one you do, the most important one of determining income. what the income is. That's me. Right. right. And and that is a big part of what I do, whether it's a valuation job or not, because I'm not just getting involved if, if there's a valuation job. A good number, they're the the smaller um in terms of just overall what needs to be done. Generally, if it's just income for support, it's a smaller job for me, but it represents a lot of what I do, a lot of the the engagements that I'm brought in is not, oh Ben, I need you to value this company. It's Oh, we have somebody who works uh, at his own business. We know that it's not um, that it's not worth anything, but it's a job. We don't understand what his total income is because there are a lot of perquisites that are run through. There are trips right. that the family takes, and we don't know how it's accounted for. We need you to figure out what the actual income is there. Um, sometimes both parties have businesses, and maybe one of them is worth something. Maybe one of them isn't. Maybe they both are. But trying to figure out what that income is is critical for purposes of, of spousal support. And then also if they have minor children for, for child support. And one of the other things that you know the CPAs don't really know and understand, no fault of their own, it's just this isn't their business, is that if you've got a small business involved, the income available for child support 
may not be the same number as the income available for spouse support. I use the term spouse support and alimony interchangeably, um, but those could be different numbers. And and if you're getting somebody involved and asking them to do some work for you who who doesn't play in the divorce sandbox every day, they may not know that or appreciate the, the distinction. That's huge. And that would really put somebody at a disadvantage if they were litigating, if their expert did not know that. Um, right. And I think, so back, go, if we back up a little bit, um, when you are a lot, this is another question that comes up for me a lot. Um, clients will ask me for input with, you know, the attorney recommended that we hire a neutral appraiser or my attorney recommended that I hire an appraiser and we not get a neutral. What are the pros and cons for each party of a neutral versus getting in um, kind of an, into an adversarial situation with an appraiser this is a very complicated question and there are it's there's i'm going to give you probably a too long um multifaceted answer but but the in its most basic form if the people are getting along well and they don't have any disagreements about facts then it, it works better to have those are better cases better you know, a case would be a better candidate for having a neutral appraiser. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a, a lawyer that I hadn't worked with in years and years and years. Um, and she said, I have a case, husband, I'm working for the wife. Wife is very nice. Husband is very nice, but we just don't understand how he makes his money. This is not a valuation case. This is a um, income for support, both spousal and child support case. The guy's a, a partner at a consulting firm and his income comes in many different forms and nobody, everything else is agreed on. They have the the custody and parenting time all figured out. They've got the property division all figured out. Um, everybody's playing nice. There are no disagreements about anything. All they needed to understand is how does this, this complicated compensation, compensation structure, how does that work? And she called me to hire me as her expert. I happen to know the lawyer on the other side as well, and I do work for him. And I said, well, if you're okay with it and he's okay with it, maybe this would be a good case for to bring me in as a neutral because it doesn't seem like we've got material disagreements about the facts. And it doesn't seem like it would be beneficial for you to hire me, for them to hire somebody else, and then for us to fight about something and to, to make up a fight. Um, so I think that case was a good candidate for a neutral expert, and that's the route that, that we've gone down. Um, there are lots. Of, that case is more of the exception than the rule, though. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Why are people getting divorced? They're getting divorced because they can't get along and they can't agree. And maybe somebody did something to break the trust of the other person. And if there is a lack of trust, if there are disagreements about what the the facts are, um, you can't put a neutral expert in the middle of that because we are not in a position to sort out facts. We're not the trier of fact. That's what your judge is. That's what your arbitrator is. We don't listen to testimony and make a decision about who's right. And that's the the position that some folks want to put us in as the neutral expert. And I agree. After, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They want, but can, so can you give me an example of a disagreement about the facts? So obviously 
We're ta- are we talking about hidden income? Yeah. Um, so let's say we've got uh, a guy who owns a business and they go out to dinners as a family, just like many families do. They go out to dinners, they go on vacation, and every time they go somewhere, he puts it on his business card. And he goes out with friends for lunch um, and he puts that on his business card. And when you ask the wife, she says, oh, everything that we do is paid for by the business. All of it is inappropriately run through the business. And he says, no, 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 no. That vacation that we took, I was going to see a client. The whole time we were down there, I was visiting clients. I took out every every other day. Uh, I took out a client on a meal. When we're back home, all these meals that she's talking about that I'm that I'm going to lunch with friends, these are my clients. Um, my business is sales, and I am constantly when I when I go to the DAC, my DAC membership. That's because I am going there, and I and I play handball or whatever, you know, whatever that, you know, that person is doing at the DAC, they're saying that that's where all of their business comes from. And so those are necessary expenses. And then you give me bank statements and you give me credit card statements. And I see, yes, he's paying the DAC. Yes. There was a, a, a dinner at Capitol Grill. Yes. You know, they went to Fleming's, but I don't know who was at Fleming's. I don't know what was talked about at Fleming's. I, I don't know if he had you know, dinner with his girlfriend or with a supplier or with his biggest customer. And I'm hearing two different things from, from both sides. And whether whether those expenses are legitimate business expenses or not makes a big difference to both the valuation and income for support. But I don't have the ability to make that call. That's not my call to make. And so what what I will do is I will make it clear at the beginning of a case where they're bringing me in as a neutral expert that I'm not doing forensic work. I'm not doing work that that puts me, pardon me, in a position to make a call as to who's telling me the truth and who's not. Um, that's Those are the cases that, that I won't take as a neutral expert. I'll, I'll work for husband and I'll assume that what he's telling me is true and I will base my analysis on that. And then if if the case ends up in a trial or an arbitration, He's responsible for testifying about those things, convincing the trier of fact that what he's telling me is accurate, and I will say I relied on that. And if the judge tells me that that's that he doesn't, you know, he or she doesn't believe what the husband said, then I can say, well, here's how that would impact my valuation. Conversely, if I'm working for the wife, I'll say, okay, I've assumed that what she's telling me is accurate, and if the judge determines that those things are not accurate, then here is how it can affect my analysis. Right. And so, this, I mean, you bring up an interesting point. I know for me, so in um, the counties that I work in, which are, there's obviously crossover with the counties that you work in, less than 2% of all cases actually go to trial. But maybe a larger percentage of the cases that you're working on do go to trial. And, and for me, many cases that I have that go to, quote, trial, we end up settling, you know, in the courtroom outside the, the outside in the hallway somewhere. So is there a different percentage for you that that go to trial? Um, I would say it's probably more than 2%, but more than trial is arbitration. Mm-hmm. So arbitration, I'm sure you know what arbitration is. The listeners may not. Arbitration is where you privately contract somebody to act as your judge who has the power of a judge to make the decisions, to make the call 
but rather than doing it in a courtroom with somebody who has a very full docket, who has a lot of improper, you know, people coming in trying to, you know, figure out the legal system um, as they go, you take it out of the hands of the judge who doesn't have, you know, right. the, the time or the background to, to handle some of these complicated financial issues, and you put it in the hands of an experienced attorney who does have lots of experience listening to cases. Most of the arbitrators are mediators. And we are lucky. We don't have a lot of them, but we have a handful of, of really fine mediators in our area who are familiar with financial concepts. Mm -hmm. Some of them have finance degrees themselves, and they hear these topics on valuation and income. They hear these cases every day. This is what they do as mediators. So when it comes time to become arbitrators and take off their mediator hat, put on their arbitrator hat, they aren't starting from square one with, well, what is evaluation? How does it work? How do I know who this person is who's testifying? They know us. They know the experts. They know the these topics. And, and they're in a unique position to make good decisions, you hope, about, mm -hmm. about these cases. So more of my cases, many more, I would say, go to arbitration versus trial. Right. I still am, I testify in trial um, a couple times a year, two, three times a year. Um, sometimes a little bit more, but probably for every trial that I have, I have two or three arbitrations. Um, and I think that since the pandemic, more cases are going to arbitration. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have more clients that are agreeing to have um, the mediator become arbitrator. Yeah, And that seems to be an, an, a different kind of a trend where that would make sense. I, I could talk to you all day long about, I have a, I have a long list of questions that I thought of while we were talking as you were bringing up issues, yeah. but I do have one, one question that I want to make sure I, I do touch on with you. So we're, let's say we're in a mediation. This mm -hmm. happens in nine out of 10 cases that I have where there's a business involved. We're in mediation. We're in one room with the business appraiser. Uh, the other side is in another room with their business appraiser and the difference between the appraisals could be is vast. So one side comes in, let's say at it's worth nothing. The other one comes in, it's worth 5 million. I mean, that's probably more extreme, but what is it that accounts for those differences? And I know that there are a lot of, a lot of complicated factors that can, but oftentimes the business appraisers will get together in a room. What's going on in that room when they're discussing how do we come to a compromise number other than just split the difference. Usually one of us will bring a magic eight ball and the other one brings in a Ouija board. <laughs> and then um, and you close your eyes, you turn off the lights and you see what happens. Um, now the, there are uh, evaluation model is it's kind of like a complex machine with a lot of knobs and levers and you can pull a lever too far, not necessarily meaning to, or if somebody isn't um, is trying to skew their outcome, they can they can deliberately pull it too far or pull several levers just a hair farther than they should. And okay, and the Great analogy. Thanks. It's it's um it's something that I think about a lot, and and I actually I testified in a recent arbitration about this because the other expert had. I don't think he had done it deliberately, um, but he had uh, several of his assumptions were just a little bit unreasonable. 
but just a little bit. So when he was testifying, each one sounded sounded pretty reasonable. Okay, that makes sense. And one by one, but everything sort of went in his client's favor. And the conclusion was just absolutely wacky. Um, and so when you looked at them individually and you made tweaks to them to bring them all closer to you know normal and 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 you know the center of of the the range of reasonableness the conclusion shifted dramatically so what happens in the room um this is like something out of out of hamilton yeah. but um, <laughs> what we do is we go through some of those assumptions and we say okay well what did you use for your and and I'm going to use it throw a bunch of jargon out what did you use for your cap rate what's your ebitda what's your uh officer's comp adjustment and you know what method did you use you do an income approach did you do a cash flow did you use you know market approach what, what's your ebitda multiple all, all these things that are you know it, it, it it's very like very technical very very technical um and and we'll talk about them one at a time and the more trust that you have between experts um the the better it is there are a few experts out there um that i know very well and we have a good you know, degree of trust, and we'll share these things openly. And okay, well, what if you what if you change this to that? What if we meet in the middle on this one? Let's rerun our respective models with with a new set of hypothetical assumptions or adjustments. Um, not because this is what we're going to be testifying to, but let's Try to let's do this with, right. exactly. Let's see if if we can meet in the middle to see if we can get something together that we can sell to both of our sides to make the case end. And that's really, you know, a lot of people think that that there's like a winner and a loser because if people watch, you know, these these legal shows on TV and you know law and order. That that's not that's not, you know, the win is to end the case. Yes. To to get the, the folks divorced, to allow them to start the healing process. I'm not a, a psychologist, I'm not a social worker, but I understand what's going on here. And it and it's ugly. The divorce process is ugly and it's expensive. And the sooner we can right. get these folks past it, the better off they're going to be for a lot of reasons. I agree. That's the win. I agree 100%. And I think that for a lot of people, um, they they don't recognize too that the more they continue arguing about some of these things, that the more expensive it gets and there may it might not be financially worthwhile even to continue. So it's very valuable to have the two experts in a room talking about what, you know, like what you're saying, the technical pieces um, that maybe you can agree, okay, this is not what I would say if we were going to go to trial, that'll be different. But between us, what are the technical assumptions that we can agree that we can rerun things at to try to get to a resolution? I just, I find that there's oftentimes not that communication back to the client about Mm -hmm. what's going on in that room. And so it feels very arbitrary to a client. Sure. It's a process that is very, um, it's different than what anybody that's going through divorce that hasn't been through a divorce before. And it's different than anything that they've ever gone through before. And it's it's difficult and it's expensive and it's uh, emotionally painful. It's it's emotionally expensive. It's financially expensive. And, and what I would say is try to, if you're going through this process, listen to your advisors. We do this every day. And try to keep your eyes on the prize, which is get to the end. Don't make a big deal about small things. And you're not going to right the wrong. 
in your divorce. You're never going to somehow even the scales. Um, there's no amount of, of money. The, the courts just aren't set up like that. There's nothing that I can do that's going to find every dollar that's ever gone where you didn't want it to go. Right. Um, and, and, and there's no amount of money that, that I can make the other side pay to make up for the fact that, you know, things didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Um, so try to, and, and I know it's not just a business transaction, but try, try to treat it as much as a, as a business transaction as possible. Um, and I agree. No, I, and that's a lot of where my job is, is working with clients to counsel them to treat it as if it was a business that was splitting up. And if they were to treat it as a business that was splitting up and not just, and not as their, um, their marriage, their, you know, their, their family, it's easy for me to say that, but they would make different decisions. Um, and so that is, those, that is an excellent point. Then I'm going to link your contact information in okay. the show notes so that people can get in touch with you. And again, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. You can find more information on Melissa Fradenberg and Jackie Ressler on our website, www.pearlplan.com, as well as on our podcast website, www.wealthyafterdivorce.com.